0: Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I have a, it's a very quick story, but a story I wanted to share with you about um, someone not seeing all the important information and making the wrong conclusion. Um, and it is a mother who is sharing about her toddler. She says, my toddler was about to hit her head in a bar at the playground, so I told her to duck. She quacked at me and then hit her head. I, I love kids, right? This is, this is like the, if you're a parent, you can identify with stories like this. Like the kid totally didn't understand what was going on. I'm sure they're learning all their animal sounds. And uh, it's like, oh, mom wants a duck impression right now. Yeah, I know a duck makes a quack sound. Quack, you know. And then uh, hit her head on the bar uh, in spite of the mom's best attempt to warn her about that. Someone helpfully wrote in the comments of this story, you mean she quacked her head on the bar? Yeah. I'm sure she's fine. Otherwise, we wouldn't have heard that story. But anyway, thinking about these kind of these times where we don't see all the important information and we make the wrong conclusion, we we uh, assess the information around us, or at least everything we can see, everything we can perceive, and then we make a conclusion based on all the available evidence or everything that we see around us. We we often miss important details, um, in important ways, and we're going to be talking about that this morning when it comes to seeing what is ultimately real, seeing all the important information, gathering all that information in. Um, We'll see today in the story, 2 Kings chapter 6, um, the key role that sight plays in our understanding of following God, and we're going to see the role that sight plays in this story in 2 Kings chapter 6. Just a reminder for you that we are going through a study for the last... Uh, this is week seven. We've got one more week. No, this is week eight. One more week, total of nine weeks of this series. We've been going through the lives of Elisha and Elijah and telling these stories about this unique time in Israel's history where Israel was it divided. There were two different nations, Judah and Israel. It was a divided kingdom. And, and during this time, Israel, um, the nation that Elisha and Elijah had been sent to, had been, had been straying from the worship of the true God. And God gave them opportunity after opportunity to come back to him. Like, come back and worship what is real. Don't worship these false gods. They, they, they promise more than they can deliver. They will not save you. You need to worship me. And, and in God's grace, he's sending these prophets to be people who will be his representatives there on, in, in the nation of Israel. And, and calling God's people back. Come back. Come back. And Elisha and Elijah, both Elijah first and then Elisha, this is their life's mission. They're going out there to call the nation back. And there's all these confrontations between the true God and false gods. And we see that, we saw that as we studied the life of Elijah, where there's this showdown on this mountain between the prophets of Baal and Elijah, this lone prophet of the true God Yahweh. And Elijah, the nation doesn't ultimately return back to God at this time, even though God powerfully displayed um, just how mighty he was by consuming, sending fire to consume this sacrifice and we were there a few weeks ago then he passes the baton on to Elisha after preparing Elisha to take his place over a number of years Elisha begins his ministry and Elisha's ministry is just characterized by miracle after miracle after miracle so each week during this kind of second half of the series we've been looking at these miracles and and getting lessons from them and r- making sure we understand the story but then seeing how we can apply them to our lives and so that's where we've been we've got one more week as i mentioned um, next week, we'll finish up 2 Kings chapter 6 and conclude our series, and then we'll begin our Christmas uh, series that next Sunday. So, 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 to 23, we're going to jump right in and read the story here. This is, yep, 2 Kings 6, 8 through 23. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God, sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city." And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria, As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel." So this is our story here, and just to kind of recap where we've been and kind of let me talk through it a little bit, the details here. These Syrian raids were a real problem in ancient Israel, where Syria, their adjacent nation that was directly to the north of them, would come periodically into Israel and just carry off whatever they could carry off. They would come in and raid a village or a series of villages and just take everything of value back to Syria. And you can imagine how terrifying this would be if you lived in one of these border towns near the Israel-Syria border. Um, That this is like when we think about the Viking raids, you know, where they'd come into northern Europe. This is a similar kind of thing. These just hordes of forces would come in and carry off things of value and kill loved ones and, and all of this. It would have been a terrifying situation. In fact, last week we were talking about this servant girl that was carried off into captivity in and served Naaman. It was a, she was a key part of that whole story that we studied last Sunday. This would have been one of these raids, right? She, her, her origin story, where she came from and how she ended up in Syria was because of one of these Syrian raids. So this is a terrifying situation for people that live there. But the Syrian king um, finds out that so many times these raids have been planned. They're going down. They're going to they're gonna carry out some kind of campaign. And Israel's king and his military somehow gets information about what Syria has planned before it actually happens. So the only conclusion that the Syrian king come up with can come up with is like, hey, there's espionage. Right? There's some kind of spy situation. Like one of you we, we make a plan together and then one of the Syrian military leaders sneaks out and there's a dead drop somewhere underneath a park bench maybe, you know. And Israel somehow gets the intelligence that there's information taking place. Maybe there's a secret code system. He's not sure, but he's very skeptical of the people that he's been planning with. And their reply to him is like, it's not, that's not what's happening at all. We're not spying and, and telling Israel what you have planned before you do it. You see, there's this guy named Elisha. And Elisha knows, God, God reveals things to him. Elisha knows, like there's no, no secrets before God. And God tells this information to Elisha so that he can tell the king And that's what we're dealing with here. He says, Elisha knows what you say when you think you're completely alone. He says, in your bedroom, even Elisha knows the words you speak because God reveals it to him. So then the Syrian king comes up with a brilliant plan in quotation marks. He's like, well, let's go get Elisha. Let's find out where Elisha is and go get him. Word comes back, well, he's in Dothan, this town of Dothan. Now, can anyone come up with a real problem with the king's plan here? Elisha, who knows what you do before you do it, um, now you're coming down to get him. Like, there's there's a fatal flaw here, right, with your plan. This isn't going to work out the way you think it's going to work out because of what we just said, right? So this town, though, is surrounded in spite of this plan not being very well thought through. And by night, an army shows up around this village. It's discovered in the morning. Uh, it's completely surrounded. Elisha's new servant. We talked about Gehazi last week and how his time with Elisha ended. And now this, this servant kind of steps out, it's he's up early in the morning and he kind of looks like, Oh, what is that on the hill? And he realizes that looks like a chariot. And then he steps out a little further and continues to look around. He's like, There's a lot of chariots and a lot of army here, Syrian army. We we are in quite a predicament. We're completely surrounded. What are we going to do? And he goes to Elisha in, in a panic. Like, what, what are we going to do? Elisha's response is, is powerful. He says, let's, actually, let's look at that again. That's in <clears throat> verse 15 and 16. Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with him. Then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So he op- the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, this is powerful. Thinking about like him not being able to see, he's taking in all the information, everything that he can see around him. All he sees is this major problem. And Elisha goes, he's not seeing the full picture. So God, would you please open his eyes? And God answers this very simple prayer. And all of a sudden, Elisha's servant can see not just this physical reality, but the spiritual reality. And he sees that they are surrounded not just by an army, but that army that's surrounding them is surrounded by a heavenly army. That includes chariots of fire. Now this raises an interesting question for me when I think about this part of the story. When Elisha and Elijah, Elijah hands the baton off to Elisha, Elijah ascends into heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha sees chariots of fire at this moment in the story. This is like, I think, 2 Kings chapter 2. He sees these chariots of fire. And then now, here in 2 Kings chapter 6, he says, I want the servants, I want my servant to see the chariots of fire. Like, I've seen them. I want him to see them. And I've been wondering about this passage since I've been thinking about this for a few weeks. Did Elisha just always see chariots of fire? Was this just, like, from this time on, from the time that Elijah was, you know, ascended up into heaven in the whirlwind, did he just, like, was this his part of his reality, where everywhere he looks he sees these chariots of fire? Or is he just remembering that one time he saw the chariots of fire, and he has this awareness that they're always with him? You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. The text doesn't tell us directly, but it's one of those... Things my imagination runs wild with. Well, rather than these chariots of fire just wiping out this army, God does something pretty unique. Elisha prays a simple prayer. um, Please strike this people with blindness. And God did that. Now, now this blindness that they're struck with does not appear to be where they cannot see anything, right? Because they're still navigating their way to a neighboring town. It seems to be more of a strategic blindness, like a confusion of some kind that's been set in, like blindness to what's right in front of them where they can still see certain things, but, they, but they, they're, they're unaware of the reality, sort of like the bar and the duck thing that we was talking about at the beginning. Like it's right, they can't see the bar right in front of them, or they can't see that Elisha, the person that they've come to capture, is right in front of them. And then they're open to Elisha's instructions. Elisha says, well, let's go over here. I'll take you to Elisha. Uh, This is and and now for Star Wars fans here. We have something like a Jedi mind trick, right? He's like, "This is not the town you were looking for. I will take you to the town you were looking for." And they go into Samaria. They go into the capital city, and God has closed their eyes to the reality where they 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 do not realize what's happening until God says until Elisha then says, "God, please open their eyes." When they open their eyes, they realize that the army is in major trouble here. The the Syrian army that's come out to capture Elisha is now completely surrounded by by Samaria, the capital city of Israel. And they are in a tough spot. And the king who sees what's happened, you've led a Syrian army directly into my town here. They have no way of escape. Elisha, what do I do? Do I strike him down? Do I strike him down? He asks him twice. Elisha says, no, don't strike him down. Like you've got all these POWs now. What would you do with the prisoners that you would have captured in battle? You wouldn't just strike them down. God's delivered them into your hand, so why don't you feed them? And then they can go to their master. And we see such a compassionate response here. He doesn't just, it says that, um, in verse 23, he didn't just give them like the bare minimum. Here's, here's a little bit of bread and some water and you guys get out of here. He prepared a great feast for them. And they ate in this enemy's city. And then they left back to Syria. And when they left back to Syria, it tells us that the raids, this thing that would have been so chaotic and scary, ended. This did not end warfare between Syria and Israel, but at least these raids on the border, that kind of thing, came to a conclusion. The, thing that, the theme that really arises out of this whole story is this theme of sight. Like seeing what is real. Being able to see things Accurately, Twice in this story, Elisha prays that someone's eyes will be opened and they are opened. And then once he prays that the Syrian army's eyes would be closed, that they would be blinded and they were blinded. We also see that God sees everything. That In the very beginning of the story, that nothing is hidden before God. God, God sees every single thing. God knows what's going on. Nothing escapes his notice. There's three kind of insights that I want us to take away from this story today and we'll Be talking about them for the rest of our time this morning. And the first one is this all you see is not all there is. All you see is not all there is. We see this in the story here with Elisha's perspective versus the servant's perspective that the servant only sees the problem, and it's a major problem to be surrounded by an army like this and to be in this vulnerable situation. Like, how are we going to get out of this one? but Elisha sees something the servant doesn't, or at least he remembers something the servant doesn't. I think he sees it as well. And he knows that all that the servant sees is not all that there is. And we know this intuitively. If you think about all that you see is not all there is, and you kind of take it out of this context we're talking about, and you think about that phrase, I think you would affirm that in general. Like whether you're talking about the news, or whether you're talking about space. You know, you look up into the sky and you see the night sky and you know that all you see is not all there is. And if you know enough about kind of basic science stuff, you know that there's microscopic things that you need a microscope to see so that with your own view, you cannot see all that there is. But you know that if you have something magnified for you, then you can see the things that you wouldn't normally be able to see with your own sight. We know that everything going on in the world is not something we can observe and, and keep track of at any given time. All you see is not all there is. We understand that. But when we think about dealing with a challenge of some kind, we think about dealing with our fears, it's important that we remember this principle in those moments. For Elisha, this that all all you see is not all there is. Elisha's prayer for his servant. Is that God would just open up his eyes to more reality. He he wanted him to see, to grasp ultimate reality, right? Just because Elisha's servant couldn't see it does not mean it wasn't there, the army, right? This chariots of fire. G. Campbell Morgan, who was a pastor in London um, several generations ago, he said, Faith is never the imagining of unreal things. It is the grip of things which cannot be demonstrated to the senses, but which are real. The chariots and horses, uh, chariots of horses and fire were actually there. This is this idea. When we begin to think about the spiritual realm versus the physical realm, we know that all you see is not all there is. Um, but when we think about this from a spiritual perspective, right, that, we're there, that in the spiritual realm, that, that is actually real. Right? It's not just like it's less real. The physical is more real. I can touch this and I can feel it in the substanti- you know, substantial and then and the spiritual is somehow because we can't see it, it's less real. No, it's actually more real. It's ultimate reality. If we could see everything going on in the world spiritually, we would have a better grasp on what real reality is, ultimate reality. So Christians are not people, you know, people of faith are not people who are unrealistic where we just believe in these kind of imaginary things or whatever, that's sort of the perception. Like, there's, I'm more of a you know, person who believes in science and what you can observe, and those Christians are people who are unrealistic and all, all of that. That is not actually true. Christians are people who understand that the supernatural is also real. And we believe in that. And even though we can't see it, we know that all we see is not all there is. We know that ultimate reality is not always visible, and we see those things through the eyes of faith. But our goal as followers of Christ, as people of God, is that we want to pay attention to what we can't see somehow. We direct our eyes of faith towards the things that are not immediately visible, and from that we take strength, from that we take encouragement, and we know that all we see is not necessarily all there is. Oswald Chambers. Um, said we have to learn to pay attention to reality. One soul attending to reality is an emancipation to hundreds more. This word emancipation, you know what that means from our nation's history. This is like providing freedom to people. The, The people of faith are people who pay attention to ultimate reality. We focus our attention on what is really real, which includes things that we cannot see all the time. And our ability to attend to reality and to put our hope and our our faith and our trust in in things that we can't even see all the time or things that we won't see this side of eternity will provide freedom to people around us. So people of God are people who know that all they see is not necessarily all there is. The second principle I want us to take away from this story is this. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. We took these words from the story here in verse 15, these words of encouragement that... Um, no it's not verse 15 verse 16 do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them there's a deep truth to this principle this idea that understanding that um, as we understand reality we understand that whatever trouble we might be facing whatever problem you might be encountering the resources available to you the help from heaven for you the God who loves you far outweighs whatever the level of the challenges that you're facing. Elisha's prayer for his servant, he he didn't say at at any any point for the servant, hey, God, wipe out this army. Knock them all flat right now so that the servant can see. He didn't ask God to change the actual, actual situation. All he prayed for is that the servant would be able to see the situation more accurately. That he'd be able to see what was really true. Like viewed correctly, this army around them was actually a small problem in comparison to the resources available to them. So God in this moment opens his eyes and he sees for a moment the spiritual reality that there is a a vast heavenly army that surrounds them. This army in in that case then is a very small problem. And I think about... You know, this idea and this concept of God and his care for his people and the way that he protects and the way he looks out for them and the way that he provides for them. And I think of the psalm that, that Dan used this morning, uh, I believe Psalm 120, this, this idea, looking to the hills. You know, where does my help come from? My help comes from God, the, the maker of heaven and earth. D- David says in another psalm, Psalm 34, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. These verses might, might even have been in Elisha's mind during this encounter with this, this enemy army here. and Imagine the difference that this made for Elisha's servant. If you were in his shoes and you stood, you stood outside the door early in the morning, kind of like, oh, let's see what the weather's like, and you see an army that wants to maybe kill you, certainly arrest your master, but maybe kill you in the process, and the fear that would strike your heart when you see something like that, and then... The, the way that things would have changed in a moment when God answers Elisha's prayer. Open his eyes. And then the miraculous event of being able to see the spiritual reality in this moment in comparison to the physical. Like, man, that would have changed your perspective. That would have calmed your heart. That would have, that would have made such a difference for me if I was in that situation. There's a life application study Bible that my wife has that had this really great note about this passage, and I wanted to read it to you. It says, Elisha's servant was no longer afraid when he saw God's mighty heavenly army. Faith reveals that God is doing more for his people than we can ever realize through sight alone. When you face difficulties that may seem insurmountable, remember that spiritual resources are there even if you can't see them. Look through the eyes of faith and let God show you his resources. If you don't see God working in your life, the problem may be your spiritual eyesight, not God's power. This idea of that that those who are with us are more than those who are against us gets bumped up to a new level in the New Testament. For people on this side of the cross and after what Jesus has done for us and he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell with his people... Um, the Apostle John in 1 John 4 kind of bumps this up to the next level. And he says, Little children, you were from God and have, have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It is not just that this out there thing and there's separation between you and God, but you know that God's generally on your side. He's out there. He's, he's kind of out there and in, 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 involved in the world in some way. Now, now, being people who have received Jesus by grace through faith, We have the indwelling Holy Spirit within us and so now it is not just out there and he's with us in some general way but now he is in us. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. That's great news. The third principle from this passage is this. God gives sight to the blind. God gives sight to the blind. I want to talk about that statement on a couple of different levels. We know that during Jesus' earthly ministry that he healed people that were blind. It's one of these powerful miracles that Jesus performed. And I actually believe that God can still do that. I haven't seen it. I haven't experienced it. But I know that God has that power to do that. God is a God of the miraculous and that we, we should pray big prayers and trust him with, with great faith. Um, I don't think God often does that. But I know that he can. I know that nothing's beyond his power. I've prayed for a blind person to receive sight once in my life. Um, and when I was over in Uganda about 10 years ago, there was someone that was brought to the, the village that we were at, and he was an older man walking with a, a walking stick. And he had lost his sight at, during, in, in kind of recent years, was no longer able to see. And the person that I was with, it was kind of translating so I could talk with him, um, we began to, to discuss his situation and to <clears throat> understand what was going on. And I, I remember hearing the person that was talking with him say something to the effect of, God will heal you. And, and then I remember thinking, like, man, I really hope so. Like, I hope, I hope God does heal you. And I'm going to pray as boldly as I know how and trust in God as much as I can. But I, I, I couldn't, that, that wasn't coming for me, that I'm, I'm assuring you that God is going to heal your blindness. Once again, I know that God can and, and God does, but I know that that's not always, always the case, that God has plans beyond us, that all we see is not all there is, and God might have some other plan uh, for, for this situation. And I really wish I could tell you the story that I prayed for him, and he was like, now I can see, but that's not what happened. I did pray for him, but he, he, he left that prayer time and that conversation still not being able to see as far as I knew, and I don't know if God did something um, for him later. But I know that God has the power to do that, that, that. During Jesus' ministry, he did pray for people. The blind did receive their sight. And it was one of these powerful signs of who Jesus is. But when we look at blindness and we consider this concept of not being able to see, like our eyes being closed to our reality, we, we know that it's not just this physical thing. It's, it is a physical thing. But even more than that, there's this spiritual dynamic where Scripture talks about it and uses this metaphor of the spiritual awakening and the spiritual enlightening that God does when he transforms someone's life, that it is so powerful that it is like going from darkness to light, like going from not being able to see to now miraculously being able to see. It's a spiritual metaphor. There's this spiritual blindness that takes place that the story from 2 Kings 6 really reminds us of. Not being able to see something and then being awakened in a moment to being able to see the reality. It happens with Elisha's servant, and it happens with this, these troops from Syria. Jesus uses this metaphor in John eight, verse twelve. It says again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is one of these beautiful I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. And the idea, this concept that he's saying here is that without Jesus in your life, it's like walking in darkness. You know, be, going into a dark room where you don't have any of your night vision and you're trying to feel your way around the room and you experience for just a brief moment what it might be like to be blind. He says, you're, you're walking through life like that without me. The, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not, do, not, not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life that This way of walking through life, the way you navigate through life, having Jesus in your life changes that. You now have illumination. You can now see ultimate reality more clearly if you have Jesus in your life. The Apostle Paul, when we read about his transformation story, we went through this in our study in the the book of Acts this summer, where Paul went from, from darkness to light. Paul went from not being able to see Jesus for who he really was and not being able to see his own life even because he couldn't see Jesus, to, to being changed in a moment where Jesus encounters him and he has this road to Damascus encounter where, where God enters his life in a dramatic way and, and remember when it happens, he loses the ability to see for a while. This bright light, even though it's the middle of the day, the light outshines the sun and he loses the ability to see but even though he lost his physical sight in that encounter, he gained spiritual sight. And then later he'll go and and ask someone to pray for him um, named Ananias. And as Ananias is praying for him, remember the story? It says something like scales fell from his eyes. And it's like this physical representation of what was happening in his life spiritually that now he could see before he was blinded in some way to the reality of who Jesus was, reality of who Jesus could be in him. And because because he was walking in darkness... His life was missing all that illumination that Jesus offered. But then in this moment, he is given sight. And now he can see who Jesus really is. And he ends up being this ambassador for Christ and spreads the gospel far and wide. Paul will later write in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 about this transforming work of God. In verses 3-6 through 6 of 2 Corinthians 4, it says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, it is like they go from blindness to sight. And God—that that is a work of God every single time. And so that also means that if you have people in your life that you're concerned about, that you want them to meet Jesus and they're, they don't have Jesus in their life, then we need to be praying in that way. Maybe something exactly like Elisha's prayer for his servant. God, open their eyes. Let them see that all they see is not all there is. That you are who you say you are. And that you want to have a relationship with them. I love this, uh, the way that this army is treated by the nation of Israel here. That when, they, when their eyes were opened, they realized that they were in pretty significant trouble. Like, what do you, you're completely surrounded by your enemies. You're, you're the enemy, and you're surrounded by the people that you're opposed to, and you're in trouble. But rather than being slaughtered, like I mean, if you read enough Old Testament stories, you kind of expect them to be slaughtered, you know? It's like, and they wiped them out. Um, they, they were granted grace. And a meal was prepared in the middle of this enemy town for them. And I think that's just like God, right, to treat us that way. That, that when Scripture talks about our, the way we start when we are blind, when we are not walking with Jesus, we're actually enemies of God. We're not just like kind of neutral. We're either like on God's side or we are opposed to God. And Jesus, in his grace, prepares a table for us, for his enemies. Not just in the presence of his enemies, but actually for his enemies. And invites us to come and eat with him. And we come as enemies and we leave as friends. Right? We, we leave as his children. We, we come and we encounter the truth at that, at that meal with Jesus. Jesus invited these people. We see Jesus in his ministry always having meals with people. There's something about that, breaking bread with someone that, that, that helps you draw closer to them, that it strengthens relationship, and Jesus used this frequently in his ministry. And I, and I see this as just a, a beautiful example of this from the Old Testament. Imagine sitting down with the enemy army and having a meal with them. What a beautiful example of God's grace for us. Our goal ultimately with these ideas that we've been talking about this morning is that we want to see things from God's perspective. Nothing is hidden before God. God knows everything that there is, everything around us. God knows all the information. He has all the important details. Nothing is hidden in his sight. And we want to be able to see more of what God sees. We want to draw near to God in our relationship with him. We want to be able to understand and see things from his perspective. And you know, faith that we've been talking about this morning, is a type of sight. Faith helps us see ultimate reality. Faith helps us see what we've been talking about in these points in the sermon here, this idea that what we see is not all there is, and that those who are with us are more than those who are against us, and that God gives sight to the blind, that our faith helps us see things that were not previously visible to us. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, this great chapter in the Bible all about faith and talking about these Kind of heroes of the faith um, references this idea as faith as a type of sight. It's been talking about Abraham and Noah and these different heroes of the faith in the way that God worked through them, and um, and then Hebrews eleven thirteen says these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having read the, read this next word with me, having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. You know, Abraham dies before he ever gets to see as the promise fulfilled, like God's promise that he's going to make of him a great nation. When Abraham dies, he hasn't seen that promise fulfilled, but there's this concept where Abraham, like, it's like he sees something way far down the road, and he greets it. Like, I, I see it over there. I'm not, going to see this. I'm not going to make it to that destination, but I see it from afar, and I'm greeting it, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, that faith helps you see. Faith helps you know what's really going on and understand that all we see is not all there is. So my question for you this morning is, what if you lived your life with this idea firmly fixed in your heart and mind? That what you see is not all there is. Having this awareness that he who is for us is greater than he who is against us. Right and trusting that God can help us see things, that through the eyes of faith we, we see things, that that happens when, we're, when we come to Christ initially in salvation. And I think it continues to happen. We pray prayers like Elisha's prayer for his servant, God, open my eyes. What if you prayed that prayer more often? God, open my eyes. What if when you walked into a room full of people, you said, God, can I see this group of people the way you see them? Would you open my eyes? so I can see reality the way you see it. I think that'd open up a lot, a lot of opportunities to minister to people, a lot of opportunities to help the people around us, certainly a lot of opportunities to love people around us, more like Jesus does. We face fears, we face challenges, we have concerns in our lives, and um, we, we, I think, if we're being honest, we're like, God, would you please open my eyes the way you did for that servant? to really see the chariots of fire around me, to know that you've, you're on my side I'm on, because I'm on your side, you're on my side, and this changes the dynamic of any challenge I might face. Would you please miraculously open my eyes? I'd love to have that experience, to see the chariots of fire around me. There's a really great note in the Gospel Transformation Bible that I want to close with here. It says, We might be thinking, That if God would only do the same thing for us that he did for Elisha's servant and show us the power of his invisible kingdom, we too would no longer fear or be anxious. But this is exactly what he has done. Did not the Father send the Son, the fullness of his kingdom and power into this world? Has not the invisible God become visible in the incarnation? Our Lord did not just peel back the curtain of his invisible kingdom. He came from it and lived in our midst. As a flesh and blood man. With Jesus Christ, we see clearly the power of God's invisible kingdom and its fullness. In fact, compared with what Elisha's servant saw on that day, we have seen so much more. When fear and anxiety strike at our heart, we must pray that God would open our eyes by faith to see the fullness of reality that can be found only in his Son. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for these powerful stories from the life of, lives of Elisha and Elijah. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to live our lives in this way. Help us to see through the eyes of faith, to believe more in you, to trust more in you, to not be afraid of, of the challenges that we face, but to know that you are with us. And you promise to never leave us nor forsake us. And Lord, may we tra- take great comfort from that, but may we also take great courage from that. Help us to see you with the eyes of faith. Lord, for any in this room who have yet to put their faith in you, Lord, and have not begun that relationship, I pray that even now as I'm praying, you would help them to say yes to you and that you would perform that miraculous spiritual enlightening, Lord, where you help blind people see spiritually. Lord, that you open the eyes of spiritually blind people and let them see that you are the light of the world and that you want to be in relationship with people. You want to help illuminate their path and help them navigate through this life. They don't need to be alone. They don't need to walk in darkness. Lord, give people your your grace and your salvation even now. And Lord, for those of us who are your followers already, who are part of your family, I pray that you would help us to live our lives in this way, Lord, that we know that all we see is not all there is. When we see the challenges that we face and we feel overwhelmed by them, make us aware of ultimate reality. Help us to see through the eyes of faith, even if we can't see them spiritually, the chariots of fire around us, but to know that you've promised to never leave nor forsake your people and that you've promised your resources to help in time of need and that we draw near to you and ask for help. Lord, you're there to to help us. Help us to see what's really going on in this world. Give us some glimpse through the eyes of faith into the spiritual reality that we live in. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for this time together. Bless us now as we continue to worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.